This is Lester Bye Bye Bento coming to you all the way from my salsa garden on the highway to nowhere via the all singing, all songs Amoeba Network. The big 997 on your dial at Wonderfield Whitfield WITT Radio, where we invite you to have an unlikely musical love affair, celebrate joy in simplicity, and we all listen and learn as the musical bees make honey in that glorious chorus across our blessed nation when each night we break the silence. So come on, everybody, it's mimosa time. Open the window and dance with me. singer tell you what i do i would sing all night long and work on a building well that was fun my guess is that you've already guessed that our guest on this episode of change the story change the world has something to do with music and it's true The voice you have been hearing behind me, the singer, songwriter, musical force of nature, Elise Witt, yes, that's W-I-T-T, has a lot to do and a lot to say about singing and songs and songwriting for sure, but also Mother Nature, Human Nature, the State of the World, and a hundred other subjects, odd, wonderful, quirky, and profound. Elise is a world citizen, a multilinguist, a teacher, a song leader, a community activist, and a loving soul. She's been making music all her life across the globe to make a better world. Along the way, she's scooped up a guitar case full of wisdom, a lot of stories, and hundreds of songs. In fact, our reverb-saturated intro was just a mashup of song titles taken from her recently published songbook, All Singing. So take a listen. This is Change the Story, Change the World. My name is Bill Cleveland. Part 1. A Daily Antidote of Song. There you are. You sound great. So where are you hailing from? I am on the original lands of the Creek and Muskogee here in Pine Lake, Georgia, where I have a small farm honoring the farm that I grew up on in North Carolina, where we had goats that we milked and chickens whose eggs we ate. And then we had some rather unusual animals as well, including guanacos, which are related to llamas, and emus and rias, which are related to ostriches. And my part of this conversation is originating from Alameda, California, which is located on the unceded homelands and home waters of the Chochenyo people of the Muikama Ohlone tribe. And Elise, I know Pine Lake. It's outside of Atlanta, right? Out in the country? What a wonderful place to be spending your time. So is Kathy Denobrega one of your neighbors? She's not only my neighbor, but she was my mayor for two terms. Yes, I know. I contributed to her campaign. 
Yes, it's a very interesting community. I did move here because of the lake, because I am a fanatic swimmer. So I must say that having spent time over the last couple of weeks with your music, it's obvious that the natural world is a significant part of your, your worldview and, and certainly your song craft. It, it shows up everywhere. So let me begin just by asking in whatever way you would like to just describe your work in the world. Well, you know, my work is about connecting and singing and music is how I do that. So I don't consider that it is the thing I do. It's like the tool or how I make connections in the world. And I've been realizing more and more how much making connections is important. I've been involved in a really interesting project over this um, last couple of years during the pandemic called the Daily Antidote of Song. And it began in the, the D.C. area, a group of artists um, realized how many people were really shut in and perhaps didn't have contact with, with other humans. And so they decided to have a song leader come on, and this is all on Zoom, a song leader come on every day at noon and teach a song, something that's sing-alongable. And then there would be some conversation about the song leader's work, whatever that might be that they want to talk about. And then they sing the song again at the end. Um, so that everybody leaves singing. And it has now gone beyond the 500 days. I, I think it's like getting close to 600 days. And I got involved with it near the beginning um, through the Smithsonian Folklife Archives because um, the archive has a wonderful thing called the Archive Challenge where anybody can go on the archives and learn about the songs there. And if there's a song that speaks to them, to create their own version of that song. And then it, it's archived there. And several years ago, I was at the Folk Alliance International Conference, and they had an archive challenge there. And I chose the song Jenny Jenkins, which is a color song, like a traditional color song. And it's actually a courting song. And in, if you listen to the versions in the archives, You'll hear there's a like a tongue twistery chorus and all the versions are different, the tongue twistery part. But the one that I liked the most said, make me a foldy rolly tildy tildy move. And then I added make good trouble in honor, of course, our congressman from here in Georgia, John Lewis. And in the traditional version, Jenny is very grumpy. She doesn't like any of the color. She's, oh, I'm not going to wear red because it goes to my head. I won't wear blue whatever, etc. And I decided, no, Jenny, lighten up. So my Jenny, she loves all the colors and she tells about why she loves them. So there's a rhyme for each of the colors. Oh, will you wear gold, oh my dear, oh my dear? Will you wear gold, Jenny Jenkins? Yes, I love to wear gold because it makes me feel bold. I'll make And we did this right around the time of the Georgia election for the two Senate seats that was an important election. And RBG figures prominently in the song as well. And But my collaborator, Jessica Lilly, who um, does all my website and, and technical things and who's also a wonderful artist and musician, she said, what about if we um, make this into a video project where we invite artists from around the world of all ages to contribute art to illustrate the different verses? 
And so we created this this beautiful music video of the Jenny Jenkins song, which premiered on the Daily Antidote. And a lot of um, people literally ages 1 to 83, all different art forms participated in it. I started being more and more engaged in the Daily Antidote of Song. I've led a lot of my own songs there. And I've also had, I had the idea to host a week of alternate roots artists, musicians, and then recently I've hosted a week of global voices. So I had from India and I had Gitu from Mexico City and um, Beomar Rojas from Venezuela and Maria Anzini from Italy. A lot of different voices also from Ethiopia, Munit Mesfin. And so as I've gotten more and more involved in this community, and there are people there that come every day. And so one of the beautiful things about it is not only does it share the music, but every day, every person that's there is greeted. So when I'm the host, I will sing, Welcome, Bill, we're here on the Daily Antidote of Song. So I just, where we welcome each person. And as, as I'm there more and more, I know the people and I know where they are. There's people coming in from England, just all the different states. And so it's been an amazing connection for me. And recently, Joe Rossi, who is the, the mastermind of the whole project, she said to me, we need another Jenny Jenkins year two. So mm. I started thinking like, Okay, what is it that made Jenny Jenkins work? Number one, it's a list song. Number two, it has colors. The list is colors, and that's what inspires the art. And then also, I loved the tongue twistery um, chorus. So I was thinking, like, what could it be? And is it shapes, sizes, whatever? None of that seemed to work. But I was talking to my friends um, who are also alternate roots folks that I, you might know, Carol Birch Brown and Ann Kilkelly in Blacksburg, Virginia. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Carol's yeah. a wonderful artist that I've worked with a lot. And she said, what about the idea of a suitcase? And so I thought, yeah, that's it. And I thought about that a suitcase has both the idea of the whimsical Mary Poppins suitcase where you can pull out like any, anything of any size um, that, can, that can be packed in there. And then I also thought about the suitcase that you have to pack in a hurry when you have to leave, the refugee's journey, forced migration, that suitcase. And I got really inspired and I wrote a new song. It's called Ready or Not. And I'm actually um, premiering it tomorrow on the Daily Antidote, and I'm inviting folks to submit art for it. And yeah, we're getting ready to do it. You want to hear it? I do. Absolutely. Let me just open my guitar case here. Absolutely. You'll hear just me with guitar, but on when I do a better recording of it, my partner Mick Kinney will be playing the accordion, which sounds really lovely on it. And when what when does the Daily Antidote air? The Daily uh, Antidote airs every day at noon Eastern time. So in California, 9 a.m. and in, in 6 p.m. over in Europe and Africa, different parts. Yes, it's a wonderful community. Great. Let her rip. All right.
take along my favorite teacup that will help me wake up. I'll take along my you so much now my brain is filled with your beautiful song and <laughs> it uh yeah you know you hear something like that and um it's kind of like being in church you just want to reflect thank you a lot in there thank you so much and i think that's why i want to do the art project with it because it's more than just 
an Audiel experience. I've only played it for a few people so far, and all of them said, how, like what you're saying about how the images that it brought up for them. And a, a couple of my friends actually said, I, I'm already thinking about the image that I'm going to create, the artwork that I want to create with it. Mm. Yeah, I, that's an interesting thing about, you know, uh, maybe this is the wrong term to use, but engaging with art is really an infectious thing. W when it touches the heart and the head at the same time, you cannot help but trigger the imagination on, on a journey. And being a singer and a songwriter, what a, what a privileged thing to be in, a, in the world that we live it in. It makes me think about collaboration. And I actually, mm -hmm. I don't enjoy that much being a solo person, a solo artist. You know, most of my work is in collaboration. Some of it is working with other artists, making things. Some of it is teaching, some of it is learning. But again, it's that thing of connection. It's that, yeah, for me, I'm really interested in connecting through the, with other people and with the earth and with nature and going outside and singing, singing in nature, singing to nature, singing with other people in nature. Part two, the evolution of ideas. One of your songs talks about a very specific and intentional collaboration that you had. It's called Evolution of an Idea. <laughs> and having meandered through your songbook, just for those people who are not familiar with it, it's a songbook. It has lyrics and music, but it also has many of the stories that go with the songs. And that one in particular, as a songwriter, I'm particularly sparked by encountering other people with, with different starting points for where a song might come from. And it seems like the evolution of an idea, at least the story of it, is one of those. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, musically, one of the funny things about that song is that it's actually, it's a round. Mm -hmm, yes. Try it on, try it on, try it on, try it on. Does it fit right? It evolves as it's sung. So even as an idea is evolving, the music is also evolving by engaging more and more people. It's actually an eight-part round. And yeah, I was just ruminating on how an idea, there's so many ideas, so many influences floating around. A new idea takes a little minute. Sometimes I feel like you have to grab onto them when an idea comes, because if you don't, it's gone. In my dreams or in my thoughts. I am not the kind of songwriter who says every morning from 8 to 10, I'm going to work on my writing. And I, I very much admire that kind of that kind of discipline. It's just it's not my discipline to actually most of the songs I've written, or at least developed, happened at the Hambitch Center, which is an artist retreat center here in Georgia. Mm -hmm. It's called the Hambitch Center for Creative Arts and Sciences. I have a hard time finding that kind of space and time when I'm at home. I think that I have so many different projects going, and I'm teaching, and so many different things are happening that finding that time to settle and let the ideas evolve, it's very difficult for me to do at home. 
and I have to be out in my garden. <laughs> There's so much to do in my garden. But to have the time and space to let an idea evolve. And I love that evolution. If you put an R in front of it, it becomes circular, a revolution. Certainly does. As you probably know, I have another song called Spiral, which talks about how a revolution is just a circle. It comes back to where it started. And so what's really revolutionary, and I'm making little air quotes here, is the idea of spiraling, that we actually move away from where we began and move forward or we move backward or we move in time. We move some kind of way that moves us into a new place rather than just, if you look at social revolutions, political revolutions, most of them have come back around to where they started and have not gotten anywhere. Um, so many, sadly, in 1985, my band, the Small Family Orchestra, we had the incredible uh, experience of going to Nicaragua during the height of the Sandinista Revolution. And it was so inspiring. And it was a, a cultural exchange, so we didn't spend any time in the city. We actually went around to all of these different small towns and met with artists. We harvested coffee. We learned about the literacy project. There was so much creativity. And now one of the people who was one of the leaders is now an incredible dictator. And his wife is apparently even more cruel and dictatorial. And it's just that idea of, you know, Power begets more power, and the more power you have, the more you want. So that idea of evolving, literally moving energy, and again, collaborating. I, I'm always going to be talking about collaborating because it's about relationship, too. A relationship with other artists, relationship with family, relationship with myself, even. So you spoke about re relationship collaboration, cooperation, evolution, and revolution. One of the through lines in your work, at least uh, recently, has been your relationship to this amazing organization called the Global Village. Yeah, the Global Village Project. Uh, and Yes, and one of the credos that you speak about is that every student is a teacher and every teacher is a student, which reminds me of the um, Pijanjara phrase napaji napaji which is uh, this is from the great victorian desert in the Aust australia from a, an aboriginal tribe you teach me i teach you that's basically right, what right. it means and it's that reciprocity of learning and life uh, could you talk about the global village project and your work there yes many many years as a teaching artist i traveled all around and i would spend three weeks or a few months in small communities, um, usually hosted by a school there. And I would um, get the kids excited about music from many cultures and then write songs with them. And I would also go and sing with the garden club or the rotary club or different organizations in the town. And I loved that work very much because it centered around my love of language and my love of, of teaching and learning but the thing I think that was difficult was that we, I would have this intense experience with a group of people and then it would be finished and I would leave and then there would be another one. And it always was very engaged and very wonderful, but it would always have an ending. Twelve years ago, I learned about this school. It was then called the Global Village School, but it's now called the Global Village Project. 
And a good friend of mine wanted to do a singing circle there. And she asked me if I wanted to come along with her to lead the singing circle, and I did. And this was a school that had just started inspired by an elementary school called the International Community School. And the International Community School is a K-5 school that has half refugee kids and half local kids. And I was an artist in residence there for several years. Anyway, some of the folks from that school started a Saturday school for parents and for older siblings. And in doing so, they realized the great need for the teenage refugee girls, the older sisters of the students. So they started the school, the Global Village Project. And it's a special purpose middle school, especially for teenage refugee girls with interrupted education. And so the second year, my friend who had gotten me involved there decided to go in other directions, but I really wanted to continue and develop a relationship with that school. And I actually raised my own salary for the first few years. I went to the local computer store and the owner happened to be there. And just across the counter, I said, would you like to support the music program at the Global Village Project down the street? And he said, yes. Anyway, we were off and running and I became the music teacher there which is interesting because I've never, I've never been a classroom music teacher, but of course I've um, done a lot of music teaching and I really embraced this idea of every student is a teacher, every teacher is a student. And really what I do there is I use singing to teach English. So we learn different songs, maybe from the global peace and justice repertoire, different songs that I've written or that I, friends of mine have written. Wow. Could you take us there? Talk a little bit about how that works, how all this happens in the class. One of the big things we do is we write songs. And even when I was doing the artist in residency thing, what I would ask teachers was, what is something that you find is difficult to teach or is difficult for the students to grasp? And then let us write a song about that. Because if the kids write a song, they will never forget it. Just this week, we actually culminated our first um, quarter of school. And the first quarter of school, the theme is welcome. So we're looking at everybody's languages and cultures, where they come from. And because we've been gone, we've been on Zoom for a year and a half. We're having to really find each other again as a community. And in each of the classes, we wrote a community agreement song and they had written these community agreements with their English teachers. And so yesterday we had our, what we call the author's tea. The students are the authors and they present information about the things that they've been studying. So in social studies, they've been studying maps and they made in math, they made all these graphs of the, these are the number of people that speak these languages. And these are the countries we come from and the number of people in our school and those kind of things. And in their English classes, they had been making these beautiful big posters that basically say who they are. And they, the heading is, I am unique. And it, where am I from? What languages do I speak? How many brothers and sisters do I have? What are my dreams for the future? All these kinds. We presented all that yesterday. Last year, one of the things I, with those posters, we wrote a song called we are all unique. And I was asking the girls, what is it that makes you unique? And just the idea of unique is so wonderful, I think, to talk about. But one of the girls said, I am unique because I know who I am. And I was like, 
whoa. <laughs> so actually the chorus of the song goes, we are unique because we know who we are. Everyone's unique in their own special way. We are all unique. And then it'd be like, Bill is unique because he writes beautiful songs. And then that was our most advanced English English speakers. We have three classes and they're organized by their English language ability, not by their age. So the middle group wrote a song called My Our Favorite Things, which is not the famous one. But we talked about how everybody has their own favorite sport. Everybody has their own favorite book, their own favorite food. So we wrote a whole song about that. But I loved the community agreement song that the Form 1 wrote this song. This time, Form 1 are the girls who literally are just beginning to learn English. And the speed at which they're acquiring language is breathtaking, literally. When you see them like sounding out words and reading and you want to hear their song? Oh, yeah. You have to dance along with it, okay? Of course. Yes. So it's, let's see. Oh my goodness. How does it start? I've still got ready or not in my mind. Hang on a second. Hang on one second. Okay. We're going to skip that. Sorry. I can't remember how it. I can't tell you how comforting that is. You'll edit that part out. (laughs) (laughs) But no, but the thing is that we have songs, we make songs, we forget songs and I forget songs all the time, and I and what you were just doing is trying to grab it back. I'm just constantly doing that. Beth, there's three community agreement songs. There's the most advanced one that has the flamenco part, and then there's yeah. the middle one, and then there's the first one. But the main part goes, oh, in the, something like, in this class, we agree to be friendly. I look with my eyes, I look with my eyes, I listen with my ears, I listen with my ears, I speak with my mouth. I speak with my mouth. I am kind with my heart. I am kind with my heart. Try to use English. Try to use English. No laughing at our sisters. No laughing at our sisters. Together we agree. That's how it goes. Together we agree. There it is. That's great. And it's so obviously rising up from their learning educational experience catechism almost you know it's one we're learning body parts yep Yep. and we're learning we also have our core values i use a lot of um, american sign language i'm not fluent and but i do have a very good friend who is fluent and who helps me and i'm very clear about that i'm not fluent in sign language but it's such a beautiful way of translating so we um, do our community agreements at the end of every class we say I am powerful, I am gentle, I am a student, I am a teacher, I am beautiful, I am kind, I am appreciative. These are our core agreements, these ones. I am appreciative, I am respectful, I am responsible, I am a lifelong learner. And one of the things that I I think we forget is that we need to practice the values we live and we be reminded of them. We say those every day at the end of music class. And the interesting thing is that it's also in their second language or their third or their fourth. I think it it enters the heart and the mind in a different way when it's number one through music and number two through music in a language that is not your mother tongue. Um, and body. 
because we are we're like we're showing with our bodies what we're doing as well it reminds me an educational environment i've been involved with all my life which is waldorf education it has a the body the heart colors there is no human sense that is not involved in the the wonderful act of learning and so also the other thing that it reminds me of is is that once you learn that way it becomes something you can use for the rest of your life and they may be learning the early days of english but that's a, that's a strategy you can apply to practically anything part three amoeba songs and love. So one of the things that you mentioned there was calling up the everyday as a, a way to not only practice language, but just be together. And two of your songs resonate with me because I have a, a fascination with things that are profound but are almost invisible in our lives. One of them is your song, The Amoeba Song. And the reason it resonates for me now is that I have found in the pandemic myself sitting on a bench with Judy Munson and also Becky Reardon at times uh, that is near where we live, watching shorebirds. I have been on that bench. Yes. And one of the things that we all can come together on is that there are times when we're jealous of the shorebirds <laughs> in a time of complex human history and interaction. Becky's beautiful song, Eve's Longing, that she sang on your interview with her. I, I love exactly. that song. And when I sing with her, I get to sing harmony on it. That's so wonderful. Yeah. But that song of the cell having a, a world that is certainly not encumbered by all the things that the amoeba does not have to deal with, that we do. The final lines are, no torture, no war, no meanness of spirit, only the song of life, can you hear it? Which really resonated with me. It's Thank really you. beautiful. I, I was thinking about how complicated, how complex we keep making things. And can we just pare down to the, to the, to the single cell? Another a, a parallel concept I also think about is like mm -hmm. the idea of getting just getting rid of all of the layers of complexity that we build up around ourselves over the many years of our lives. And what is that essence down in, in the very core of our being? I spend a lot of time trying to mind meld with, with the cave people <laughs> 40,000 years ago. And one of the things that I have discovered among evolutionary psychologists and others is the concept that what you do, this singing thing, was likely a pre-language human behavior that was evolved for the purpose of capturing the attention of the community in a way that connects them and us all as collaborators for the difficult journey of just surviving. You're reminding me of, I've been a student for many years of Dr. Isai Maria Barnwell, who is a bass singer from Sweet Honey and the Rock. And one of the songs that she's taught for many years comes from the, the rainforest in central Congo lands. And the thing about 
that that song, if we can call it a song, is that people are spread out all through the forest. And when that song starts, you hear it coming from all different directions and people join in singing it and they gather, it brings people together to gather and they sing and sing until community is reached. But not only is it the community of people, but they're actually singing the sounds of the rainforest. Amaibu oye, amaibu oye, amaibu oye, amaibu oye, amaibu oye, But the song layers in, so it's like amai, 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 and it can just come in. So you're hearing the sounds of the rainforest, the sounds of the animals, the sounds of the water dripping, the sounds of the the plants growing, and they sing and sing until they feel like the community is reached, that they they're coming together. And sometimes it takes time, and maybe we're being called together. Because there's a problem, there's disagreement, there's some sort of disruption in the community. So music, yeah, music is such a powerful way to come together and and not have to have discussion and words and misunderstanding. But what if we sing together? And what if we Mm -hmm. make harmony? And, you know, I always talk with my students about how harmony is both um, individual and cultural like what sounds beautiful in one culture is strange to another culture's ears, right? Harmony yes. is such a, it's we're all different, but we come together into one sound. It's not a unison. I'm so fascinated by that idea. The sign language for harmony is you bring your fingers interlaced around and then you bring them around until you are making the sign for together. But, it, but again, those eight fingers are interlacing, so they're not being the same. They're just interlacing mm-hmm. and coming together. And then the thumbs and forefingers make circles and come together so that you're saying we're coming together. We're not all the same, but we're, we are community. We are together. Yeah, I spend a lot of time with groups of people teaching and learning. And one of the, I guess you call it rituals or traditions that I and my colleagues have brought is also another Sweet Honey in the Rock piece that actually Kathy Denobriga introduced to me, which is the chorus from Ella's song, We Who Believe in Freedom Cannot Rest. And one of our practices is because it's easy to remember once people get into it and is to go long enough so people move from being self-conscious to not even thinking about what they're doing. And the other one is that once you get that melody in your head, people will start to wander into natural harmony. And and then when you finish, people go, where did that come from? And I, that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It, this is something that I think rises up from the evolution of our species. It's its not something that you just go to school to learn. It is right in there, in our brains, in our hearts, in our minds. I think that the idea of repetition, too, 
where we're no longer thinking about it. We're no longer in, you know, that conscious part and we, we become part of the music and we, we hear it and feel it and create it on a different wavelength than the mind that's always like planning and thinking. So there's two songs I want to finish with here. One of them is one that I just want to thank you for. It's the lake song conversation. One of the hardest things that I find in writing music is a love song because there's a, a catalog of love songs, some of which I love, but many of which I've suffered through that really, I don't think, even begins to break the surface of the depth of love that humans can have. And this one, it's a love journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it takes you from the natural world, and, and it, it's a beautiful thing. And there's a story behind it, too. Could you just share briefly the, the story of where that song came from? So I, I was in a relationship for several years with a wonderful man in Italy, who was an artist, a restorer of antique furniture from the mountains, very rustic, beautiful, and statues. And we had a a really wonderful way of communicating. He didn't speak English. I do speak Italian. But what happened is, the way that we met is that I came to Italy after not having been there for a number of years, because I started going in 1979 on an artist exchange program. And I, then I was not going for a number of years because of touring with my band. And when I arrived back after being gone for 10 years, there was a party with, with my friends that was happening in the mountains above the lake, Lago Maggiore, which is the big lake, one of the Finger Lakes in Northern Italy. And there were four guys sitting on a stone wall outside of the house where the party was, and they were singing the the traditional men's choral mountain music of that place. And it was so powerful and so beautiful. And I had not heard it before. And then a neighbor called and complained. And so they went in the house and went upstairs and I just followed them up there. And, and then they, they said, we're in a, we're in a men's chorus. It's a traditional thing here. Men's choirs that sing this traditional mountain music. It's the Alps. It's really, it's Italy, but it's close to Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And um, we meet every Thursday for rehearsal. You're welcome to come if you want. So I was like, absolutely. I'm there. So I went to their rehearsal, which was fantastic. I always love rehearsals more than performance. But even better than the rehearsals was after the rehearsal, they go to this place called the Circolo, which is a word for circle, which is something we don't have here in the States. But it's a it's like a combination community center, bar, restaurant, a place where people gather like a pub in Ireland. Anyway, we're sitting at these long tables and then they're really singing in the Circolo. They were really singing. And then suddenly all this food started arriving. And I'm like, nobody's ordered or anything. The guy next to me said, oh, yeah, there's a special sign. I'm sorry, this is a podcast and not a video. But you take your hand and you just tap your ribs with the the sides of your fingers. And if you grab somebody's um, attention, like the waiter, they just start bringing food. So that's how we met and got involved with each other. And then... I was in a a songwriting workshop 
It was a brilliant workshop in which the teacher basically said nothing and taught us nothing. What he said was, I want you to come back tomorrow and I want you to think of a style of music that you admire, but you've never done, that you feel like you can't write in and something that you never write about. And so I came back the next day and I said, I never write love songs. And I said, I really admire how French and Italian and Spanish songs, they're really, the lyrics are poetry. They're not just to love you. And so the assignment was write a love, an Italian love song in English. Wow. And I literally wrote all of the words that first night. And then the rest of the week I worked on the music, but I never edited it. I never changed it. And like you said, it was an evolution. The four verses are the evolution. First, it's about the, the music. And at first it's about the place, the beauty of the land, and then the beauty of the music, and then the connection that we feel together, and then realizing of coming together. But First I fell in love with land, dark mountains on a June starlit night. Reflecting in the Grand Lake far below First I fell in love with land I have literally probably written only three or maybe four love songs in my life because they're, I agree, there's so many of them and what else can you say? But what you've written about is I am in awe of, of a world that embraces me and it includes all these things including you and whoa you can just feel it happen and at least for me it reminded me of that feeling of just being awestruck now i'm in love with you person the song is about has passed away he so um, sorry yeah had an untimely death very sudden and so i'm glad that song exists in his honor and in honor of our relationship yeah thank you part four all singing I'm so curious about the songs that spoke to you it's so interesting ones i would never have guessed you never know what pops up. I think it's one of the wonderful things about, you know, rummaging through someone's garden of songs is that it's just 
not curated, just what shows up in your brain at a particular time. And this one, and maybe this is predictable, you had a big concert for your songbook, All Singing, and I believe it was the final song in that concert called Set Us Free that puts to music the words of the Reverend Timothy McDonald that moved you so much. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a song I wrote after coming back from Barack Obama's inauguration where we were on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, where Lincoln, obviously, and King with I Have a Dream, and then Obama all had a presence. So the lyrics of that song came from their words, and I really loved the idea of adapting. And your song, Set Us Free, is so beautifully adapted. It's such clear wisdom we could all pay more attention to these days. Yeah, I live in Atlanta, obviously the home of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his family. And the King Center is here, which is literally called the Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change. A very cumbersome title, but I'm so glad that they made it that way because it's very clear. After he passed, they had celebrations of his life on his birthday. We celebrate his birthday on his real birthday, January 15th not just on the the Monday holiday, but on his 80th birthday, I was really honored to be invited to sing at his birthday celebration. And Reverend Timothy McDonald, if you go to any action for social change here in Atlanta, he will be there and he will move your spirit. But in addition to being an amazing speaker and social activist, community activist, he's also a fabulous singer as is his wife. And together they sound like Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. They're like awesome. So anyway, he was the speaker. I was with Murphy Davis and Ed Loring from the Open Door community. And I said, that's got a song. He said, yeah, we cannot lie our way to the truth. We cannot spend our way out of debt and we cannot war our way to peace. And I thought, yeah, what else do we need to say? That's it. Exactly. But more recently, my friend Lisa Rodez from Cuba, who is here in, in Atlanta now, she has translated it into Spanish. And if you saw the, the, the video of the concert, we leave in and out between the Spanish and English. And I, I love doing that, letting the languages dance together. So she did a beautiful translation of it. And we sing it in three-part harmony with her sister, Judith. And yeah, it's a song that's had quite a good life to bring us back around to the beginning of this. The three of us were on the daily antidote of song and sang it there. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, a great way to finish. The way it starts out from the close harmonies of the beginning of the song to this incredible celebratory festival feeling of all these different musics and all these different people and all these different instruments on stage. Back around to the idea of collaboration, at the end of that song, I invited all the musicians. So the idea of the concert was, again, Jessica, my wonderful uh, friend who has so many great ideas, the video, she said, why don't you invite other people to do your songs to celebrate the songbook? And I didn't, I did sing harmony on a few things, but basically I got to hear how my songs traveled with other folks. And so at the end of the concert, there were about 40 musicians there. Everybody came up on stage and sang and played and danced to the Set Us Free song. And that's how we finished. And that was also the last, really one of the last concerts I got to do before the pandemic. 
that I'm happy that we got to do that concert. beautiful song. I'm happy you captured it so others can hear it like the daily antidote of song. Uh, It kind of reminds us that human connection is very important and doing it in an active and beautiful way is the best of the best. I really want to thank you, Elise, for spending time and sharing your stories and your music. I want to thank you for being the kind of interviewer that goes with the flow and sees where the conversation and the music will lead, because I think that's when the best conversations happen. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Call and response. That's the way of the world. (laughs) Thank you. All right. And thank you to our listeners out there across the U.S. and the U.K. and India, Singapore, Canada, Cambodia, Costa Rica, New Zealand, Serbia and South Africa and the rest of the world with your big ears, your big hearts, and your thoughtful comments. This show is a labor of love, and we love that you're out there listening and hopefully learning and being inspired. And speaking of learning, for those of you who are teaching or doing research or just trying to absorb as much as you can about art and community change, we want to remind you about our new Change the Story collection. This collection is our response to listeners who told us they'd like to dig deeper into Art and Change episodes that focus on specific issues, constituencies, or disciplines like justice arts, cultural organizing, change theater, children and youth, or music. If this interests you, please check it out at www.artandcommunity.com under the podcast drop-down or click the link in our show notes. Change the Story, Change the World is a production of the Center for the Study of Art and Community, It's written and hosted by me, Bill Cleveland, and our theme and soundscape are by the stupendous Judy Munson. Our editing is by Andre Nebe. Our special effects come from freesound.com. And our inspiration rises up from the mysterious but ever-present presence of OOP 235. Until next time, please stay well, do good, and spread the good word. Bye.